people who have seen briefly in national statement. We have seen briefly in that statement that is gone that uh, there is going to be a structuring on the reward. There is going to be different kinds of reception in the kingdom of God Almighty. And uh, we've seen that uh, those who overcome, that the Bible really lays emphasis on overcomers. A Christian who is an overcomer. And Christ Jesus the Messiah said, I have overcome the world. And that in so saying, he set out for us the path to follow, that by the power of the cross and the blood, and by the facilitation and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, that now even the Church of Christ should live her life as an overcomer. Because the same Spirit of the Lord is available and has been released, dispensed unto the Church. And so we saw that the white stone, among the things that are celebrated in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 17, is the white stone symbolizing admiration, esteem, assent by God, applause, appreciation, recognition, respect, regard, gratitude, approval, acceptance, endorsement, acclamation, a commendation by God, an ovation by heaven. And we saw very clearly that, yes, indeed, in this life, within the backdrop of tremendous sin and decay, the church can live her life in pursuit of this prize in heaven. But yes, indeed, it does matter to live a Christian lifestyle that pursues right standing with God, that has zero tolerance to sin, that overcomes sin, that is deliberately set out to overcome sin. And we saw very clearly that the mystery of heaven, the mystery the mysteries of eternity and eternal life have now been set forth before you. And that one of the mysteries of eternal life, of eternity, is this white stone that is given to the class of people that the Lord calls overcomers, those that live their life, they set out to live their life by overcoming sin, to overcome sin. In other words, to subdue sin, to bring sin under control, to tame sin, to step on it, to bring it down, to overrule sin. And we saw very clearly that uh, the receiving of the son is very powerful because it's an emblem to the Christian that, look, you live the Christian life in which you did not allow decay to adulterate your salvation. You kept free from sin by the blood of Jesus. You did not accept whimsical teachings that uh, tolerate sin. No, you refused them. And you were very careful in how you executed your life with so much dexterity in such a way that you emulated the purity of Christ, the guiltlessness that Christ lived on the earth, and the innocence he exuded into the house of the Lord. And so you became like Christ. And he's talking about a name, the name of Christ. He says there will be a new name also written, a new name. So on that stone we've seen that there is a script written that no one else can read except the receiver. All the other people will not be able to access it, to read it. And that, that stone also gave you a special privilege. It offers to you a special privilege, certain special privileges in heaven, special class, special favors of, with God, that white stone, special admission to certain events. <laughs> hmm? And he says, you also have a special place in the temple of God. In the construction of the white temple of God with white marble, then you become the pillars in their meaning, you said never to come out. Never again will you leave the presence of God. In other words, how powerful is this? 
And then in concluding that first segment, I said we would read from the book of uh, Exodus 28, verse 21. And he says, There are to be twelve stones for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. So he's talking here about the garment of the high priest. He's talking about the breastplate of the high priest. That when the high priest now does enter into the holy presence, God the Father, of the Lord God, of the Lord of hosts, it's amazing. He says, he will carry with him. There will be 12 stones, and each of the stones is engraved, on it is engraved the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Jacob, the sons of Jacob. And the purpose was simple, that when the time comes for the high priest now to move, to go into the holy presence of God the Father, the cloud of God, the place of sacrifice, the holy of holies, now he would carry with him the 12 tribes, the tribes whose name is engraved on the stone would be carried in there. And that now when he comes into that holy presence of God, the name of the people of God, the name of the tribes of Israel would be represented there, would be present there. He would bring them before God and essentially affirming or establishing their stand before the Lord before the Lord of hosts. And in so doing, there is so much about the white stone also that says that when the Christian believer receives the white stone, it also affirms his standing before God. No wonder the pillars. No wonder it says those that overcome, there will be pillars in the temple. They will be in the presence of God the Father himself and it will confirm, it will establish their standing before God, their standing. And that goes a long way if we go back to the derivative, where they have come from. It goes a long way also to define their stand on the earth. They stood for God down there. Their standing before the Lord while they were on the earth was clear. And that is the reflection you see here now. We know so well... Israel and what Israel stands for on the earth stands for the people of God. And he's saying in so doing also the receiving of this stone in heaven with your name engraved on it that you may be in the presence of God to be emblematic of your standing before the presence of the Lord of hosts. Now that also clearly reflects what you stood for on the earth. You are standing, you are right standing before the Lord while you, live, while you lived on the earth. And we saw Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, coming out to open up that pillar. And then, now Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, also very important on this special lecture. And the name that's engraved on the stone they receive. I will go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Then I'll read Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. And it says, Revelation 3, verse 12. This is what it says. To him who overcome, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. So you begin to get some little secrets revealed here 
on uh, some on the name on the name that will be engraved on that stone that no one else can see because to the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the name of the new Jerusalem which is the city that is coming down out of heaven from my God and I'll also write on him my name so that's very powerful. You begin to get a little glimpse onto the text that will be there on that stone. He's now saying, like Christ, they'll bear the name of the Lord. This is very powerful. And then now we go to 14 verse 1. Then he says, I looked, and there before me of the Lamb, Revelation 14 verse 1, I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreface. So this is drawing in a very important aspect here, that uh, these people, the overcomers, will have a special name. And I'm drawing uh, the book of Revelation 14, verse 1, just to underscore that it looks like finally the true meaning of redemption is being defined in our eyes here, right in our hearing now. Because then now, they are receiving a new name in the kingdom of heaven. When it says, behold, you are a new creation, there you go now. And he says, the white stone is given to the winner. In fact, now this is an award. And with their names written on it, to give them access, some special access to the special favor of the Lord. That is very powerful. That is very significant, beloved people, to the present-day Christians. He's saying that the secrets of this white stone, you can get some little glimpse of it, and the purpose is to stir up the church, to stir up your souls, your hearts, that you may begin to pursue this Christ. Because he says the white stone essentially represents the molding, how your life was molded by your faithfulness and commitment to the Lord. The molding that was produced in your soul by the life you led here. That white stone, like that stone, the pebble. Like I said, free from condemnation. That means that that Christian has passed through some serious trials, some temptations, some persecution, and name it, and they have triumphed and now they have been found worthy in heaven. That is a very serious thing, beloved people. That no matter the backdrop, the background with which they operated and executed their Christian salvation, that they were able to prevail, and they passed through those trials. The persecution you see today, where if you walk in holiness, that means you're walking right into persecution. And that they triumph by the power of the blood and the facilitation of the Holy Spirit. And they have now been found worthy before the Lord of hosts in heaven. And now they are given a recompense, a reward, for their faithfulness, for their determination, for their commitment to serve God's holiness and rule over sin, overcome sin while on the earth here. Isn't that awesome, beloved people? That this white stone is the proof that God Almighty now really treasures them and he esteems the faithfulness that they exuded on the earth. And so then the begging question, have you been faithful to the Lord? Have you lived a Christian lifestyle of determination and commitment to overcome sin? That the Lord may see your triumph over sin by the lifestyle you live here away from the moral decay of this world, that when you get up there, he says, you are really worthy. 
your triumph, and I find you worthy. So please receive this stone, a white, glorious stone, with your name engraven. And I think this white, glorious stone that glitters, that is given to the overcomers, is the ultimate emblem, the ultimate sign of victory that the Christian should pursue. This is the ultimate sign of victory, that this Christian is now victorious. And he's talking about a new name that is now written on it. And the new name that nobody else knows, no one else can even see that script, can read it. Only you, the receiver of the white stone, can read it. And that goes a long way, really, to emphasize the fact that while there's everybody here, and then now you have this particular Christian or this group of Christians, the elect of God, given the white stone with a special name, a new name given unto them, that goes a long way. We all know that that really essentially means that that is how the Lord viewed them while they were on the earth, that new name. He did not see them by the name they bought here, but he looked at them and he viewed them. He saw them with the prism. He looked at them with that new name. That's how he considered them. So when he looks at people on the earth here, he can already see those who are his elect, and he is viewing them through that new name. That's how God viewed all of them while they stayed here on the earth owing to their resistance against sin, owing to the resistance of their heart against sin, owing to the zero tolerance their heart attained against sin, owing to the triumph they achieved against sin, owing to the fact that they lived a life of an overcomer. They overcame sin in their souls. As they lived here, they may have gone through whatever they went through, but the zeal and the rock, their heart, their souls were petrous. They were hard. They were impenetrable by sin, and yet glorious and white, symbolized by the white, glorious stone in purity. Sin tried to push its way toward their hearts and their souls, but did not succeed. And they overcame. Then they triumphed over sin, and hence in heaven now found worthy. So that new name is really the revelation of how God was viewing them when they lived on the earth here. He viewed them with a new name. And in the book of Second Corinthians, beloved people, chapter 5, as we advance this conversation, Second Corinthians chapter 5, if you can turn with me there, Second Corinthians chapter 5. And as you can see, this is an extrapolated conversation that we may not be able to accomplish today, to complete. But Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. And it says, Therefore, anyone in Christ Jesus, again, Therefore, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ Jesus, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sin against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are there for Christ's ambassador, as though God were making his appeal, his petition, in other words, through us. So there's so much there, beloved people, about this new identity, the Lord is speaking about using the white stone, the secret of the eternity, 
And he's now saying there is a new name engraved, your name. You will get a new name engraved there. And by reading Revelation 3.12, we already saw that they even bear the name of God, the name of Christ, and the new city of Jerusalem, and that only they know that name. Only they can read that name. They and the Lord, they are God. And now we are seeing very clearly here that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, it is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now we are beginning to understand the greater depth of the ultimate of this scripture. The ultimate accomplishment of the deliverance that Christ brought to the Christian believer is this verse 17. That when you reach heaven, now you will get a new name. The old is now gone. What belonged to the world, the Christian you were in the world, is gone. Now you become a new creation with a new name, a totally new identity. That is now the ultimate of the new name that Christ gave you as a Christian believer, as a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The ultimate is here because now you receive that new name now. That yes, when your mama afflicted you unto the earth, when you were born unto the earth, you had another name that was synonymous by the universal DNA of sin that Adam brought unto the earth. This universal death Adam and Eve brought brought to the earth by falling to sin, by failing to heed Genesis 2.17. He's saying everybody is afflicted unto the earth with that death, with that identity, the DNA of death, of sin. But he's saying when Christ Jesus died on the cross, he redeemed you, but the ultimate, the climax of that redemption is now this second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when you become a new creation underscored by the worthiness. By this ceremony here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, when you are now being given a glorious stone with a new name engraved onto that stone, onto that stone, your new name, your name. And he's saying that is when now heaven knows that indeed Christ went to the cross and achieved, he earned, he won for our God a people. And he now, he set them free from sin. And now you see their word ceremony is taking place here. You're getting a new name. And he says that no one else knows about, knows this name except you and the Lord your God. This is very powerful. The ultimate achievement of the gospel in heaven, that now, for resisting sin on the earth, he's telling you, look at how I've been viewing you. All the time you lived on the earth and you fought sin, look at how I looked at you. This is how I knew you. I already knew you with another name. Romans 12, verse 2. These wonderful hidden secrets of heaven and the Lord unveiling to us, the Lord opening it up to the church through these two tremendous servants, these messengers of righteousness, the messengers of the hour, the messengers of the way, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And he says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing or renewal of the mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So he's talking about departure from the world, the new creation, the new name. And what is amazing me there, he's talking about the transformation that takes place in the life of the believer when they receive Christ. But that transformation is so powerful because it helps you overcome sin and resolve to live for Christ and by the facilitation of the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of it, he is now grafting that into our conversation 
to the extent that he's saying now that that transformation you see celebrated in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 by the renewing of your mind and your heart and everything your soul your being that that transformation is now climax the ultimate of which is this new name here in other words he is now saying that this is the process of sanctification now that these are the ones that have been sanctified because they have undergone a transformation they are now a new creation he knows them differently he has a new name for them meaning he has sanctified them First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 as we advance our conversation and what a time to come to you beloved people with this mighty mighty message on the treasures of eternity the hidden treasures of righteousness the hidden secrets of heaven okay second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 4 what does he say again second Peter chapter 1 3 to 4 and he says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And he goes on to save us all. Through this he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. Again, I repeat the most important, important part. Through this, he has given us his great and precious promises that through them you might participate in the divine nature. What is he trying to say there? He's saying now that at the moment, at this moment, now you are aware of the great promises in heaven. And I'm talking about this white stone now. That now there would be an award, a rewarding ceremony, a reward ceremony at which now it will matter how you live your life for the earth. I'm saying as a Christian. And this promise that I'm opening up here, the promise, the tremendous stone, the white stone, he says, we should be reason enough now for you to pursue righteousness and to ensure that you participate in this tremendous divine architecture of God, what the Lord has set forth in front of the church. That this should be reason enough, impotent enough, and reason enough for you to pursue righteousness in this life. So now you know that there is so much. There's so much treasure that is hidden here on the earth. You may not see it with your naked eyes, but that treasure will be unveiled when now people enter the kingdom of eternity, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jehovah, Yahweh, our God. And he's talking about this promise of the white glittering stone, the new name, of course, the hidden manna, and so forth. But we are on this stone. And he's saying, Therefore now, owing to those promises there, you should live a life of rejecting sin and overcoming sin. In other words, he's saying, for as long as you're on this earth, there is a price you will pay for rejecting sin. But he's saying, you have to contend with that. That you have to stand and endure that. Focusing your eyes on the price. The price the treasure that will be given, the white stone that will be given to those that lived righteously and lived a holy life and pursued righteousness and then became teachers of righteousness in this life. 
that there is such a great impetus now because we can see the reward. It pays. It therefore now pays for the Christian believer to pursue righteousness. That's what he's saying. Rejecting sin and overcoming sin because the Holy Spirit is here. So it is the will now that the Christian or the church, that what church will be willing, as long as the church will be willing, he's saying the Holy Spirit will facilitate you. And then you will develop such a petrous heart, a heart, that, do you remember the Petra's hearts that were hard in the world and the gospel was trying to penetrate them, their hearts, and their hearts are very hard, Petra's, like rock, darkened. But now he's saying the heart that is delivered and is righteous and holy and is like a white stone inside your heart. And the sin of this world cannot, cannot penetrate your heart because now you have resolved to live a life of rejecting sin and indeed prevailing over sin, overcoming sin. But once you resolve, the Holy Spirit will facilitate that. You will bring that to fruition. And he's saying in John chapter 16, verse 33, that I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So again, in defining who these overcomers is, he is now raising forth one aspect of their lives on the earth here, the life of travail. They have to fight sin. The world will assault them. The world will not give them peace. The world will pursue them, blackmail them, mock them, ridicule them attack them, attempt to abuse them, but he says, once they are resolved, they will overcome sin. These are the people God the Father is talking about, to whom he holds a ceremony and he hands out a white stone. Because in John 16.33, he is now raising the tribulation, so to say in quotes, the tribulation they go through the trials and persecution. And the Christ is telling them here, the Messiah, the Lord Christ is saying, I have gone, them, gone through them also. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble once you choose me. When you decide to pursue a life of righteousness and combating sin, battling sin, you will have no peace on this world, on this earth. But please take heart. I have overcome the world. Therefore, you too will overcome for as long as you resolve to follow my footprint, my footsteps. This is what the Lord is delivering to the church. He's saying that let everybody now follow Christ as the, the single, singular example of the champion overcomer that they too may overcome the sin of this world. But there is no reason whatsoever to warrant, to justify this situation you see in the church, where it appears as though the world has overcome the church. Sin has overcome the church. He's saying, no, it's supposed to be the other way around if you walk the footprints of Jesus, that you too must overcome sin, should overcome sin. Why? Because... I am a trailblazer and I've set forth before you the path that leads to eternity, all the way to the glorious stairs of heaven, that you may overcome sin, that you may over triumph over sin, that you may be victorious over sin. In other words, he's saying that by choosing to live a life that rejects sin, overcomes sin, you should refuse to indulge into the moral decay of this world. And because the whole world is now swept into that decay in your news, television news, the internet, everything is probably morality. It is shocking. Sometimes you feel like physically throwing up, physical puking. And he says, you should live a life that deliberately chooses to refuse to indulge into the moral decay of this world. And when you do so, 
God Almighty is saying that he's promising you a higher and hidden price in heaven. A higher price that is even hidden. A higher name and a higher food, which we would, if we have time, we we'll talk about the hidden manner. A higher name, a higher price. And those Christians that have discovered this secret I'm discussing today, you can see that no matter the suffering and the persecution and the trials they go through, you see that the core of their life is resolved. They are resolved to live a life separated from sin and rejecting of sin, rejecting sin and overcoming sin no matter the circumstance. Whether they have to walk out of that job and hit the tarmac again, job seeking again for some time, they don't care because they are focused on the main prize. They say, no matter what I go through in this temporary life, I am focused on the white throne. I want to receive that gift. I want to receive the higher prize promised by God. A higher name, the higher food, all hidden and concealed. Only they can see it, they and God. And he's talking about a higher food. In John chapter 6, let me derive that food from the earth here. John chapter 6, verse 35. And we talk about the hidden man also. The true bread of God. The hidden man. John chapter 6, 35. What does he say here, beloved people? John 6, 35, he says, Jesus declared, he declared, not he said, he declared, which means that was the absolute truth. The Lord Jesus declared, he said, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That is very powerful. I'm beginning to stepwise now, open up a little bit because of time. I want to cover both fronts, the two fronts. Now I want to touch a little bit on the hidden manner. I will touch both of them concurrently so that I move the profile. John 635, you see, he was saying that he is the bread of life. And so, you see the spiritual food he was talking about here. In other words, he was telling people that there is another food that I bring you. There is another bread I bring you. The bread that does not spoil. The bread that lasts forever. The bread that will forever eat it all does not hunger again into eternity and infinity. The same John chapter 6, 48, he talks about this very special food from heaven, beloved people. John 6, 48, and he says, he says here, John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. And John 6, 57, he says, just as the living Father sent me, again, John 6, 67, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So this is a very concealed food, beloved people. But you may understand, I draw you back to the book of Revelation chapter 2, Verse 17, and he says the following. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna. Now I'm touching on the hidden manna. And now you see the manner in which Christ Jesus the Messiah is engaging with the church during his public ministry out here. He's engaging with the church in a powerful way that demonstrates his prowess. He has come with some message which is very established and refined, and yet it is concealed because he's saying he is the living bread 
that will ever eat from him. Meaning he's talking about the concealed bread he has brought. We live forever. Why? Because he says it's the bread from the Father. In other words, the hidden manna you see in the book of Revelation, our reference scripture, Revelation chapter 2, 17, is a secret food, he says so. And only this class of people, the overcomers, are able to perceive it, to receive it, and partake of it. Perceive it, pursue it, receive it, and then partake of it. He's talking about a hidden bread for a select few, a select people. And that hidden bread is talking about, if you follow that entire narrative, the thesis the Lord delivered on this bread, the hidden bread from heaven, you see very clearly in that deposition, he was essentially developing a sharp contrast between the bread this world offers, the food the world offers, and the food that heaven offers. He said, I am the living bread from heaven. I have come with that bread to feed you. And then at one point he feeds 5,000 people. And then he says, do not labor for the bread that spoils. So really he was developing a contrast between what the world offers as food and what heaven offers. But the abundance of this world, the physical abundance of this world, is in sharp contrast to the spiritual food of heaven. And he was saying that he is celebrating the moral uprightness, the moral righteousness, the righteous morality that we should pursue, the morality of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, those beautiful qualities that God demands of us. He was celebrating them in contrast to what the world offers, that the abundance of this physical world and all its food spoils, perishes, decays, corrupts, is mortal, it dies, brings death. And he was contrasting it with some hidden food that he had brought. He was the embodiment of that food. He was the physical representation of that spiritual food that he had brought. And he says that only that food can build forth moral lifestyle, moral righteous, a righteous morality. <laughs> a righteous person, a holy Christian, moral uprightness, moral right standing with God, and not the world. That comes out very clearly, beloved people, that there is a hidden food that the kingdom of God dispenses and administers to the born-again Christian that is resolved to overcome sin. And in that symbolism, you see the symbolism the Messiah is raising there. When we draw back, if we can move back, if we can rewind a little back into the wilderness, we see that the manna, the manna, the jar of manna, that there is an instruction here. Aaron is being instructed to take an omer of manna and put in a pot and hide it inside the earth of the covenant of God. So we are then beginning to understand why. Why was that manna, eventually they took that manna, and there is an instruction that came from the Lord that they take that manna, and go and hide it inside the earth of the covenant of the Lord. And I remember too well when the Lord showed me his earth of the covenant quite a few times, and then the lightning strikes the ark of the covenant and so forth. Now there's a Bible sitting there. But you see, in the initial architecture and the initial design, the Lord Jehovah placed the stone tablets there, which is the word, the law, the covenant, the testimony, the Ten Commandments. And then he put Aaron's budded rod. And then in there, he also put this jar of manna. He hid it there. So even as the Messiah now comes to talk to this generation, to talk to the church, the New Testament church, to talk to them about this hidden manna, the hidden manna he has brought from heaven, he's saying that it was all foretold already 
when Aaron was told to place that manna into a pot and hide it inside the ark of the covenant of the Lord. In other words, the Lord was coming out very clearly and saying that the oasis, the rivers that feed a holy Christian life, are hidden. They're really hidden. The river, the spring, the fountains that feed, the rock, the fountains, the springs, the rivers that feed a holy Christian lifestyle are actually hidden. That's why he was speaking to them about this bread, this manna he brought from heaven, that does not spoil. That when one eats it off, does not hunger again. But it is hidden because people said, no, how can we eat you? They rejected it. It is concealed. Can we turn to the book of Colossians, beloved people, as we begin to explore this new front of the hidden manner? The book of Colossians, chapter 3. Again, Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians 3. Colossians, chapter 3, beloved people. Colossians, chapter 3. The book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 3. So does it say? This is what it says. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. <laughs> it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I am talking about the hidden manner. That for those that overcome, according to the premise that we are using today, which is Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, to be able to explore, to make an expedition and to make a discovery into how today's church can pursue the hidden things of heaven. Then you are seeing that one of the things we celebrate today is the hidden manner that those that overcome will be accorded, they will be given at that ceremony. And he's saying that Christ the Messiah, even when he came, he talked about this hidden food. He talked about the hidden food that the world cannot see. When he tried to advance it to the world, they ridiculed him. In fact, at one point, they chased him away. And I said, that the foreprophecy of this is when Aaron was told to take some manna and put in a pot and hide it inside the ark of the covenant and close it and so hide it under the glory because you see the mercy seat is where the cloud of God sits. And you have seen the cloud of God in this land. And recently you saw the cloud of God come and overshadow me and totally cover me and blanket me as a uh, Central Park in Nairobi, that he said that inside the Ark of the Covenant, the four prophecies that was coming, even as the Messiah would come and bring that hidden manna, is that when the Ark of the Covenant was placed there, the stone tablet, the Aaron budded rod, and the pot, the jar of manna, pot of manna is in there, the hidden manna, now it was hidden inside the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody can look in there. And the glory of God came and sat on the mercy seat. So you can see it was really hidden in there. It was hidden under the glory of God. How shocking. And in the book of Hebrews. But now we see in the book of Colossians chapter 3 verse 3. And he says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ inside God. You are hidden in there, beloved people. I'm talking about the overcomers. But now they are hidden in there, and no wonder unto them is availed this hidden manner. But Hebrews, if we advance this conversation, the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4, then you see a further unveiling and understanding of some of the hidden secrets of the heaven, beloved people. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. 
and I read now, it says, it was 9 verse 4, which had, okay, I can read from verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of infants and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. The ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, flourished, not what blossomed. That means uh, uh, the favor of God. Blossom and the stone tablet of the covenant. So that is very powerful. And there is so much conversation we can have about this hidden manner because when you read further, Exodus 25, I'm going to read quite a bit until I read the book of Numbers. Let me begin with Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. Then I'll read Exodus 25. The book of Numbers, 21, verse 5. Look at what he says here. He says, They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water, and we detest this miserable food called manna. So that really brings in a different angle in this conversation with other people. Because he's saying, this hidden manna is rejected. The world cannot see the treasure in this hidden manna. No wonder Christ himself was rejected. So you see the foretelling of that. The manna that would come from heaven <laughs> hmm? and would be rejected. So this hidden manna that those overcomers, those whose eyes and focus is set on the prize to get to the white stone achieve the ultimate of deliverance. They see the treasure of the spiritual food Christ brought, the bread of life he brought. But look now, this jar of manna actually bespeaks the rejection of the manna, the bread of God, that the world would reject. Because now I've read for you Numbers 21.5, they said we detest it. That they detest it, and yet when you read the book of Psalm 78, you go to Psalm 78, verse 25, then you wonder. They reject it. How can you? How can you reject such a treasured food? Psalm 78, 25, he says. Verse 24, he says, He rained down manna for the people to eat. And he gave them the grain of heaven. How can you reject that? Verse 25 it says, Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. The bread of angels. The bread that holy angels eat. The life-sustaining food that God gives his people. They rejected it. From beginning to bring a little understanding of this hidden manner. It's not obvious. It's not apparent. It's not something you see and run to. It is concealed. And that manner, like I said before, that those that are focused on the price, they see the treasure of it, and he nourishes them. He begins to nourish them with that hidden manner from now, from when they're on the earth here. And that is what sustains them over the trials, over the tribulations in court over the difficulties, the persecutions of this world, you wonder, why are you still standing strong and the storm is raging, their souls are raging? He says, the life-sustaining food that God gives his people, his 
the legs to sustain them. And now you hear the bread of the angels. And this bread is definitely rejected by this world. Even Revelation 11, verse 19. You speak that rejection when all are dropped and dark, and all retribution is in place and deception is full, full, has climax. When the word comes, they will not receive it. Revelation 11, verse, verse 19. Look at what he says there. Revelation 11, 19. He says, Then, again, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within the temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, appeals of thunder, and an earthquake. And it, this is so powerful because he showed me these earthquakes here that struck inside the ark of the covenant. But you see very clearly also that when the word is brought, in this Revelation 11, during the height of deception, when the word is brought, they reject the word. When deception reigns, darkness reigns over the earth, the church has been taken away, they are being persuaded, no, don't listen to them. They are lying to you. That is not Christ. Let us repent. Let us receive Jesus. Don't worship the Antichrist. Don't follow the beast. They don't listen. They are rejected to the extent that they are even denied a burial place. They were not given where their bodies should be buried. If you read verse 9, for example, he says, For three and a half days, men from every tribe, every people, every language, every nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. And of course, later they go to celebrate. But they bring life. They bring the truth. They tell them, no, stop feeding on that garbage. That is a liar. That is Satan. But they refuse the truth because the darkness is too gross. The preamble, the introduction of that dispensation is now here. Look at the world today. Look at the darkness going on. Look at the deception, including into the church. You tell them, let us repent. Let us repent and prepare for the Messiah. You see the simulation of what is going to happen at the rapture in a grander scale, in a bigger scale. Even the church rejects repentance. They reject holiness. No, we want it this way. They want to accept everything, homosexuality, the immorality, the moral decay. They see no value in anything that can come any closer to this hidden manner here. They don't accept it. The hidden manner. They say, we detest this. We don't want this. The life-sustaining food that God Almighty gives is blessed in us. He's saying, except for the militant church that steps out to fight sin, to fight the decay of this world, meaning not just to receive Christ, but to take one mile further to pursue sin and combat it, combat sin. And he says, for that church, though, their eyes can see. There is a hidden secret in the holy life they pursue. Whether they are dressing holy, if it is women, sometimes long cuts and so forth. I saw some of them, I was meeting quite a huge group of lawyers in this ministry, attorneys, advocates of the ICOP. And you could see some of them, the way they are dressed, it was so powerful. You could see that these people have chosen the righteousness of God. It is not the way you are lawyer, lawyer dresses out there. 
and it was such an impressive situation that no matter the profession, the career, the practice, they're all advocates of the high court in town, but look at the way some of them were dressed. Majority, actually, almost all of them. Holy, holy, holy. Nothing else mattered. The dressing code in the legal profession did not matter. And that's why he's saying, for those that are within the paradigm of Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, the overcomers, those whose eyes have opened, they have seen the treasure, they have seen the prize laid before them like this. The finishing line has been drawn. They are running the race, and the finishing line has been drawn. They can see the prize within their reach. The stairs have been lowered. They can see that now I will make it. I will achieve it, the first prize. He says, for them now, nothing else matters. They are now focused on the threefold promise that God Almighty has promised the overcomers. The hidden manner, the white stone, the new name. They are focused on that. Nothing else matters anymore now. Their focus is on the threefold promises of God now. And they are now pursuing it regardless of their professional difference, regardless of whatever. But again, like I said, you would see there are many lawyers, a group of senior advocates that I met, and you could see in this ministry, you could see how they were all dressed. Dressed in a manner you say, wow, this is very holy. This is not your ordinary, this is not the definition, this is not the typing of your regular advocate in town. These are holy people. They have chosen holiness even in the marketplace. It was very powerful. It was such an assurance. It was so reassuring. It was a fresh blessing to the church. Why? Because they have seen. Their eyes have opened, and you can see that they have seen the prize, the prize of holiness. They have seen the threefold promises of God that he has laid before those the special group called overcomers, the hidden manner, the white stone, and the new name. And it seems that when I looked at them and I look at some of you, and I'm giving the example of the many lawyers and the senior advocates of the high court I met a few days ago in this ministry, and you could see as though to them the greater the struggle, because you can imagine the struggles within the legal profession. There is a certain way people dress out there. They dress in a certain way, they call it the flamboyancy or whatever, of the legal profession. But to them, you could see as though they were saying, the greater the struggle, the bigger the fight and the battles of a believer within the backdrop of this world, the greater the prize, the more nobler the prize they will achieve. They were resolved to so powerful. And I'm saying that this is the lofty place the church ought to find herself. Why she's fully resolute. She is determined that I am now pursuing the prize of the white stone. And my name must be written engraved on that stone that nobody else will be able to understand. And now we are beginning to see that even the name of God will be written and ascribed to us. The children of God. The elect of God. Special favors. Special access. the white stone, the emblem of the overcomer. But we know so much that heaven is all about white garments, the white glory. I saw he that wore white garments, who appeared that were wearing white, 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 white stone, white cloud, white garment. So now we understand it is so symbolic of the purity the holiness, the righteousness that those Christians live on the earth, the transparent light they live, if you touch with the God of the pen, that that will be sin. The favor, the success, acceptable, high moral character, the white stone, with new names engraved on it, meaning that will be a seal of approval. It's a signet. It's a permanent favor. The Lord is talking about an eternal approval. It will be the mark of a victor. It's a token given to the redeemed. The token of the redeemer that is given to you now. 
It is God pledging to you that, look, you are going to be my friend. Our friendship is forever from today on. It's eternal. Never again will you leave the temple. And he says, the marks on that white stone, only the receiver of the stone sees it. No one else sees it. Only the receiver can read it, the writing of the stone. And it's written with unknown letters. You don't know the letters that are written there. It's a script nobody else can read. And he says, it has a consequence. When you look at your name written on the white stone, when God the Father will have given it to you, handed it over to you, he says the consequence is unbelievable, indescribable in this life. It is such an assurance from God that you are mine forever, you are favored forever, you are special forever, that cannot be described in this life. The level of assurance it will deliver in the kingdom of God cannot be described at this time. Even the joy it delivers in your soul cannot be described at this time. I want to end it here and say, beloved people, you are really encouraged at this hour to pursue the life of an overcomer, a life that overcomes sin, a Christian lifestyle that triumphs over sin. May the Lord bless you. Thank you very much for paying attention to this very powerful message, this message with eternal consequence. May the Lord bless you as you pursue a life that overcomes sin. The Lord bless you. The Messiah is coming, beloved people. Let us pursue these hidden treasures of heaven. So that, so that, so that.